1: I mean hi welcome this is a
0: this is a podcast where um what's the thing eric you do the thing take a random article (laughs) explore it and follow the links and see where that takes us so john Uh uh-huh what do you got you don't like it
1: you aren't gonna like it i can tell you it's not good (laughs) um what i have is Klauser-e-Flingch, hmm. which is a village in Rayan, rural district, Rayan district, Kerman County, Kerman province, Iran. Hmm. As of the 2006 <laughs> census, its population was 106. Ah. Uh, yes. So,
0: uh less than the population of the small town of Terry Hill here. Yes.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. Yes.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Very,
1: but at least it has people. That's true. That's an yeah. improvement over some of the articles we've <laughs> had in the past. So, you know, that's that's something. I'll take... I'll, I'm not necessarily going to take it. I'm going to hope you have something better, but from the face you were giving me and the sigh and the whole bit, what mm. do you got? I'm, I'm going to guess it's not better, but go for it.
0: <laughs> it. It might be better, at least as a starting point. It is list of princely states of India. Oh no, we're gonna end up
1: in Bollywood again, aren't we? Okay. (laughs) Okay. List of
0: princely states. Princely states. Princely.
1: There's not that many lists of princely states. They're all in India. Yeah, let's do this. This will. This is a better place to start. At least this has like a lot going on. Yeah. All right list of princely states of india before the partition of india in 1947 there were 562 princely states also called native states that existed in india and they were not part of british india these were parts of the indian subcontinent which had not been conquered or annexed by the british but were subject to subsidiary alliances Things moved quickly after the partition of British India in 1947. By the end of 1949, all of the states except Sikkim had chosen to accede to one of the newly independent states of India or Pakistan or else had been conquered and annexed.
0: So India's pretty big, huh? Yeah, it's it's not one of the (laughs) little ones. A pretty big one it's uh united 562 states of india yeah it's so quite a lot more
1: that's quite a few
0: yeah and not and those that's not even including all of the british columbia at the time right am i understanding that correctly yeah i wow. think so like, there was
1: Britain, and then Britain already had a presence there, and then outside of that, there was more. Yeah. Hmm.
0: That's crazy. In principle, the princely states had internal autonomy, while by treaty, the British crown had suzerainty, hmm. and... <laughs> never heard of that word before, but, uh... Okay and was responsible for the state's external affairs. In practice, while the states were indeed ruled by potentates with a variety of titles such as Chhatrapati, Maharaja, Raja, Raji, Deshmukh, Nawab, <laughs> Beg, Khan, Nizam, <laughs> Mirza, were specially jammed for (laughs) Jataja Sama. The British had considerable influence. But by the time of the departure of the British in 1947, only four of the largest of the states still had their own British resident, which was a diplomatic title for advisors present in the state's capitals, while most of the others were grouped together into agencies such as the Central Central India Agency, the Deccan States Agency, and the Rajputana Agency. From 1920,
1: the states were represented in the Chamber of Princes, which held its meetings in New Delhi. The most important states were ranked among the salute states. By the Indian Independence Act of 1947, the British gave up their suzerainty of the states and left each of them to free, free to choose whether to join one of the new independent countries of India and Pakistan or to remain outside of them. Because, of course, the British couldn't help make this easy. <laughs> For a short time, some of the rulers explored the possibility of a federation of the states separate from either, but this came to nothing. <laughs> Most of the states de- then decided to accede to India or to Pakistan, such as Janegd, Hyderabad, Bilaspur, and Bhopal. <laughs> In between the years of 1947 and 1949, Travancore also chose to remain an independent country.
0: That'd be a cool band name, I think. Travancore. <laughs> cool genre name. Oh, yeah. That- Travancore. <laughs> you could start your own band and simultaneously create a new genre. It's like the new Metallica. <laughs> or Megadeth. Mm.
1: Although I'm pretty sure both those bands made their names based on the. Genre coming to having a label, but probably. Oh well. (laughs) Um, In Jammu and Kashmir, a state with a Muslim majority but a Hindu ruler, the Maharaja hoped to remain independent but acceded to India on October 27, 1947 at the outset of the invasion of Jammu and Kashmir by Pakistan, leading to the Indo-Pakistani War of 1947. On March 31, 1948, Kalat acceded to Pakistan, although the brother of the Khan led a rebellion against this decision. The last remaining independent state, Sikkim, was incorporated into India on the 16th of May 1975, following a referendum in which the people of Sikkim overwhelmingly voted
0: for this. Hmm. We got some uh, lists of states here. One hasn't mentioned yet. uh, Mysore.
1: Mysore. Now, there's also princely states of the Baluchistan agency, <laughs> whatever Baluchistan is, <laughs> uh, Kalat, Karan, Bella and Makran. Then there are the Deccan states agencies and Kolapur residency or Maratha, comprised of Akal Kat and. Boar, Jim Candy, Janjira, no Jath, Koloper, Karin Sr., Karin Jr., <laughs> which is, uh. <laughs> Alright. Uh, Moodle, Faltan, Sangli, Savner, and Sawantvadi.
0: Man, when you look at the last or present ruler. That's a whole lot of stuff that doesn't look like I can say any of it.
1: Oh my, oh that, oh, oh, oh no, <laughs> stop. <laughs> it
0: hurts my uh, eyes. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so many letters. <laughs> none of them. <laughs> so many words for one person.
1: Rajesh Ramancer, Raganatharo, Shankaro, Babashaheb. Pandit Pant Sachiv. One person.
0: One. <laughs> Captain Shremont Raja Sahab Sir Chintamanro, the second Dundarajrayo Apasahab Patwarden. That is one person.
1: Raja Shremant Balchandraro. Chinta Manrao Patwardahan Raja of Karundwad (laughs) Sr. And then there's Raja Shremant Haral Hararo Raghuntharo Parentheses Bapus Aheb and Parentheses Patwardhan Raja of Kuvar Karanrad Jr.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: Father and son. <laughs> Two peas in the pod.
0: Yep, and then we also got the Gwalior Residency, Maratha. And surprise, surprise, one of the states is Gwalior. And there's Garha Kaniadana. Ramgadi Rajard Rampur They don't know the last Or present ruler of Garha or Kaniyadunhana That's odd <laughs> Like that's everything like, else Has like such Yeah like that's one of the one. Only one uh, Might be the only two that
1: It is the only two that we don't know the last ruler of <laughs> Oh, it's actually, no, there's another one down here under uh, Punjab State Agency, the former princely state of Mandi. Don't know who <laughs> who ruled Mandi.
0: <laughs> how, how do they not know who the last person that.
1: I don't know. What I think is amazing about all these states is they all have their own flag. Yeah. Like, all 500 of them. <laughs> They've all got their own banner of arms going on here.
0: Yeah, very diverse flags, that's for sure.
1: Some of them have some really cool colors on them, actually. Like, compared to the flags you see in other places in the world, like... Mm. If you look at the uh, the Morvi State... Morvi State's got some pride going on over there. Look at that <laughs> rainbow-colored thing going on. Same thing with the uh, Patan Torwadi. That's a rainbow. Jaipur, that's a rainbow. Um... Yeah, a lot of really very colorful alwar, alwar. That's another rainbow. <laughs> but it's weird because the rainbow flies are like all the colors of the rainbow in white, and then <laughs> the the white just shows up at different parts. That's really the. Other thing that's what you're <laughs> all
0: right. Well, I am kind of still curious as to what that uh, Susie thing was. Suzerainty
1: suzerainty, Yeah, like. That was supposed to be an English word, but it sounds yeah. like an Indian word, and it doesn't. I don't know what that means. Is there a link to that? There is a link. Well, we gotta go. We could check out what suzerainty is. It's either that or sikkim. <laughs> but we're gonna go see what suzerainty is instead, because that sounds like something that's supposed to be a word we know, and it's not.
0: Yeah. All right, so suzerainty. So. Kuzerinti is a situation in which a powerful region or people controls the foreign policy and international relations of a tributary vassal state while allowing the subservient nation internal autonomy. Hmm. Okay. So, basically, what was happening was that India had complete you know independence of their own like they could do their own thing within their country but then britain was just like all right we'll handle all your foreign policy stuff
1: except for the part where they had like 5 500 independent states <laughs> yeah. yeah the dominant entity in the suzerainty relationship or the more powerful entity itself is called a suzerain the term suzerainty originally used Um, To refer to the relationship between the Ottomans and the surrounding regions, uh, it differs from sovereignty in that the tributary enjoys some, but often limited, self-rule. A suzerain can also refer to a feudal lord to whom vassals must pay tribute. Although it is a concept that has existed in a number of historical empires, it is a concept considered difficult to reconcile with 20th or 21st century concepts of international (laughs) law in which sovereignty either exists or it doesn't. While a sovereign nation can agree to a uh, treaty to become a protectorate of a stronger power modern international law does not recognize any way of making this relationship compulsory on the weaker power
0: Hmm.
1: because we've changed so we're better at politics now (laughs) don't make little guys stick up for the big guy yeah big guys stick up for all the little guys whether they want it or not (laughs) team america yeah
0: And uh, so in China, the emperor actually saw himself as the center of the entire civilized world.
1: Hey, there was a lot of history where he was not wrong.
0: (laughs) And uh, diplomatic relations in East Asia were based on the theory that all rulers of the world derived their authority from the emperor and the degree to which his, this authority existed, in fact, changed from dynasty to dynasty. However, even during periods when political power was distributed evenly across several political entities, Chinese political theory recognized only one emperor and asserted that his authority was paramount throughout the world. Diplomatic relations with the Chinese emperor were made on the theory of tributary states Although in practice, tributary relations would often result in a form of trade under the theory that the emperor, in his kindness, would reward the tributary state with gifts of equal or greater power or value. And the system broke down in the 18th and 19th century. And... Uh, <laughs> One way it broke down was uh, during the 17th century, China was ruled by the ethnically Manchu Qing dynasty, uh, which ruled a multi-ethnic empire and justified their rule through different theories of rulership. While not contradicting traditional Han Chinese theories of the emperor as universal ruler, the king did begin to make a distinction between areas of the world which they ruled and areas which they did not the system also broke down as China faced European powers whose theory of sovereignty were based on international law and relations between separate states so good on the uh, king dynasty for realizing that they're not rulers of the world.
1: Hey, that's good good on them for realizing that. Those those kings, those darn kings <laughs> and they're thinking they rule things. But really it's fine. Um they figured it out. Yeah. Uh um, right. What's well, another good there's a couple of good um Examples right here in the USA uh, When applied to the United States The concept of suzerainty Also includes the evolving relationship Between the federal government The state governments And the indigenous peoples of the United States Or of course Otherwise known as the uh, Indian tribes Though really You should think of them as Native Americans They were here first yeah. They were. They were They were They really They really were Okay. Now, Article 1, Section 8 of the United States Constitution, our favorite political document, (laughs) states that Congress shall have the power to regulate commerce between foreign nations and among the several states and... With the Indian tribes Hmm. At least four significant United States Supreme Court decisions Have provided guidelines In how to interpret Constitutional provisions First up, we have Johnson versus Intosh From 1823 um, In which the court Applied the rule of conquest And subsequent division That was accepted by the nations of Europe At the time That title properly belonged to the nation which discovered or conquered and had dominion over the new land. This meant that there there was a diminishment of the natives' ability to dispose of their land. Natives could live on the land, but that they could not grant the land to a private individual. According to the Treaty Ending the Revolutionary War, the Treaty of Paris from 1783... Great Britain relinquished any claim to proprietary and territorial rights of the United States. Thus, the United States owned the entirety of the lands which were situated within the boundaries of these states existing at the time. And those natives who lived within such boundaries did not own title to that land. At the end of the Revolutionary War, the land of the United States was east of the Mississippi River, excluding the areas around New Orleans. So, hmm. that was a really uh, pretty underhanded way of saying this is all ours now. Yeah. And since it's ours, and even if you were here first, it doesn't matter. We made an agreement with a nation from a country from a continent we respect more than we respect <laughs> this one. So, you guys can just just deal with it. just deal with the fact that we own your land now and you can't sell it and we can kick you (laughs) off anytime we want to so suffice it to say that was not the end of the issue Uh, surprisingly (laughs) when you take people's home away from them you don't simply see them go quietly into the night so we continue the saga with Cherokee Nation versus Georgia in 1831 in which it was observed that the acts of the United States government plainly recognize the Cherokee Nation as a state. Hmm. Numerous treaties made with the tribe by the United States recognize them as a people capable of maintaining the relations of peace and war and therefore the courts are bound by those acts. It was concluded that the tribe's relations to the United States resemble that of a ward to his guardian and were a denominated domestic dependent nation and not a foreign nation. And so. Wouldn't
0: that be interesting if the United States, instead of just taking over all land, mm-hmm. would have, like, established different states yeah. as complete, like, you know, Native American states. Right, instead of having like,
1: reservations within states,
0: yeah, having like, actual just states. Just give, like, a whole state, just, like, the entire state of Georgia... That is all, you know. Cherokee, Native American, Cherokee yeah, tribe. That's all Cherokee tribe. Like, you, they have complete control over their own they little can state. Buy, they can sell. Like, yeah, and then you know they can choose like, if people want to come in and visit or whatever, they can deal with they them have. as they choose. Yeah, yeah. And I mean that would be interesting
1: it would be i mean it... it's one thing to have the state as it was recognized in this trial exist because that mm. was just a means of them like making sure the united states didn't pull something and sly yeah. and try to get out of like peace treaties and stuff that they had with them yeah which uh i'm pretty sure the native americans are pretty worried about because they had already had mm. a lot of run-ins with them and were just like listen like Can we at least make sure, can we at least have your word that, like, if you're not going to give us title to our lands, are you still going to uphold these things? (laughs) Are those still good? That's something, right? And apparently the Supreme Court was like, yeah, no, you're a state to that extent. Yeah. Like, we're still not going to give you land. Like, come on, be reasonable. We're not going to give you your home. Mm -hmm. What do you want your home for anyway? It's just (laughs) a bunch of land, a bunch of things that are really important (laughs) to you, a bunch of things that hold sentimental value. (laughs) I, I mean, who cares? You, you haven't
0: even, like, built big structures or anything. Like, what like, are you doing You basically
1: don't own it already. I mean, like, look at, look, look at you, these, if look at these things. If you owned it, you would have
0: built, like, a skyscraper by now or something. So, so I
1: mean, that's kind of <laughs> on you. I mean, you know. You me <laughs> oh, where, where are you when the people were building technot- tit- the technot- tit- technot- Titlin? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The mans, you know. Anyway. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Not the end of our time in Georgia. As it would happen in 1832, there was another case bought against Georgia, Worcester versus Georgia, in which it was affirmed the federal government inherited the rights of Great Britain as they were held by that nation. It was acknowledged that the exercise of conquest and purchase can give political dominion. But, those are in the hands of the federal government and not in the hands of the states. Specifically, the court ruled that the Cherokee Nation was a distinct community with self-government, in which the laws of Georgia can have no force. This case established the doctrine that the national government of the United States, and not individual states, had authority in Indian affairs. Which is both helpful Hmm. for the Indian community and also problematic. Yeah. Because as it would happen, the uh, federal government could be much more... Well, I suppose it's probably better that the uh, state governments don't have the authority to do things with Native American populations Hmm. of their own accord. Because then that would probably make things much worse.
0: Yeah, and they could be a lot, little more secretive about things.
1: At least the federal government drags things out into the open yeah. and slows the process of progressive racism down at least a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was almost... In the 1800s, uh, United States, it was almost definitely going to happen mm-hmm. regardless. But, uh, a, I mean, I'm not going to try to justify it. It's terrible. <laughs> it's just bad. Yeah. <laughs> anyway... Finally, the uh, still dealing with the Native Americans because we can't get away from this as a nation yeah. in the 1800s, is the case of the United States versus Kagama. So and, they
0: took it all the way to the whole country.
1: Yep. The whole way across. Uh, this was from 1886. At that point, Indian territory was reduced to the approximate boundaries of the current state of Oklahoma. Mm. By the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854. Now, during the American Civil War, several Indian tribes signed treaties with the Confederacy, and at the conclusion of the war, the United States government and the tribes signed new Reconstruction treaties, and the government changed their policy from Indian removal to assimilation. It's <laughs> so, a good
0: policy change. Yeah, <laughs> a yeah, little, instead I of think like a better. Yeah. Eh, <laughs> It's still not good, but it's better.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> but not as bad
0: as removing entirely.
1: Well, I mean, removing and then letting them live on their own is oh, something. True. But I mean, not making well, read, them leave their home. removal
0: but, as like, hey, we're going to wipe you out. No, 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 no. no.
1: <laughs> they meant like Trail of Tears removal. They meant uh, like kicking them out, moving them across the country removal. I hope. <laughs> okay. I hope it didn't mean just like, hey, well, we're tired of you. Get out of here. Get out of this world. Get off this earth. <laughs> like, I hope they didn't mean that. That, that would be a little, a little too brutal, even for us. Yeah. Even for the United States. Um, but, uh, no, no, no. I think they just mean moving them across the country. Hmm. Assimilation, though, I don't know how well that would have worked.
0: Yeah, I guess.
1: But I think you at least don't displace them then so I mean that has a shot of yeah. being a little maybe you, yeah maybe you're right maybe it's a little know. less like intrusive at the very least but it's assimilation so it doesn't sound good like that's what it's, the board that's what the Borg do to people in Star Trek <laughs> yeah. like that's not like like oh yeah it's, this is better than being killed by the Klingons <laughs> is it though is it aren't
0: you still technically dead
1: inside like
0: that's
1: true if you if you put that kind of a spin on it you're just like
0: huh no. <laughs> yeah. I guess sometimes death is better than not death.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're torturing yourself into, like, forcing into your, a certain motif, it's just kind of... I don't know. doesn't seem very good. Yeah. Good way to live. Um... The Indian Appropriations Act of 1871 uh, had two significant sections that are pertinent to the decision of United States versus I'm going To get us back on topic here, first, the act required the federal government to no longer interact with the various tribes through treaties, but rather through statutes. By stating, in part, that Indian nations or tribes within the territory of the United States shall be acknowledged and/or recognized as an independent nation. Mm. Which is a completely different thing, as opposed to the federal government saying, "Hey, we have authority over you, and not the states." They yeah. said, "Oh, we're dealing with four nations within our own nation now." Mm. So, kind of what you were saying earlier, Eric, about giving them, giving the Native American tribes their own like sovereignty, is pretty much was that it was pretty much what we're doing now. Mm. The the Indian Appropriations Act of 1871, like we finally did get around that. Uh, the 1871 Act also made it a federal crime to commit murder, manslaughter, rape, assault with intent to kill, uh, arson, burglary, and larceny within the territory or any territory of the United States. Wait, it took Wait, us until 1871 to outlaw all that? Wait, Are you kidding? So,
0: so, Hold on. All of that was legal before 1871? Murder? <laughs> well, okay, they say federal crime. So maybe it was like up I to the state care. to decide or the territory. I don't care. That's still a little messed up. Yeah, because I, I mean, like
1: you could have. A, you could have. Like, I feel like that
0: should be written into the constitution somewhere. <laughs> somewhere like, like just also don't like, do these things. <laughs> like you write <laughs> like the constitution. You're like. And yeah, do not murder people Don't don't murder, (laughs)
1: rape, or assault people Or burgle them Or you know, just uh, Burn their house down Or or, intend to kill them Like, don't do these things Like, Please?
0: I feel like that's just a standard like thing of You know This is absolutely a crime From the very beginning I don't get that Uh, That's so That's Maybe this was specific to the indians at the time could maybe maybe that's what it was for i don't know because
1: i mean like it it could well i think it also would have been like territory maybe it was also like for territories too because that was when western expansion was getting like big and established Mm. and some of the western states were becoming states at that point they were stopping being territories and i have to wonder if that was like like that's the fodder that we had for all of our old west movies mm-hmm. and our uh, kind of our fetishization of the old west as yeah. like a genre and how there's like always gun battles where people got to <laughs> murder each other and in, in in broad daylight you know like yeah. i have to wonder if there isn't some truth to that because in territories prior to that <laughs> point such as the like, Northwest Territory, mm. the old, all the territories that were not yet states. I have to wonder if they weren't literally allowed to just go out and shoot people in the street. And that yeah. was why we have such like a, you know, that's why we think of the yeah. Old West that way, because be. it was out, it was literally legal to murder people. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. but that's such. A, that's so interesting. Okay, I gotta read that act when I get home. Now, the Indian Appropriations Act of eighteen seventy one. Hmm made 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 all of the things you just casually assume are illegal illegal
0: <laughs> things that are common sense illegal yes <laughs> now officially illegal
1: congratulations um the 1871 act was affirmed in 1886 by the u.s supreme court in united states versus kagama which affirmed that the congress has power over all American and Indian tribes within its borders by the rationalization that the power of the general government over these remnants of a race once (sighs) powerful oh that sucks is necessary to their protection as well as to the safety of those among whom they dwell oh no so we did all these terrible things to them and then said oh look at that you're too weak too weak to fend for yourselves well guess we'll just take it from here (laughs) Okay, cool. Dick move, United States. Just real, real nice of you. Uh, Before 1871, (laughs) the United States had recognized the Indian tribes as semi-independent. The Supreme Court affirmed that the United States government has the right and authority instead of controlling them by treaties to govern them by acts of Congress they being within the geographical limit of the United States, the Indians owe no allegiance to a state within their within which their reservation may be established, and the state gives them no protection.
0: so basically, we did the equivalent of like a bully pounding a kid's mm-hmm. face in for an hour and then yeah. being like, "All right, now I'm going to protect you from everybody else out there." <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. No
1: bullies are going to come next to you. I got gotcha. you. And then the kid would just stand there in bewilderment, like, I don't but- want protection from... I want to be protected from you. I don't want protection from you. Uh, oh, that's so sad. Yeah.
0: Sorry, Native Americans. We
1: can't say that enough. Maybe no disrespect. We can't emphasize how sorry we are enough.
0: Oh, man. That... puts a taint on all the privilege that we have.
1: It's one of the many things that puts a taint on all the privilege yeah.
0: in, <laughs> in this country. Probably the earliest thing.
1: One of them. <laughs> yeah.
0: There were quite a few things going on at that yeah, time that uh, were not yeah. so good. <laughs> you know. At that time, we weren't really thinking of people as human beings
1: that was kind of our issue you know you know we still have problems with that here and there now yeah, and again that's the problem it hasn't completely <laughs> gone away it's not completely
0: gone um it's uh it's kind of one of those things that I do. goes along with the whole common sense laws yeah, kind of thing like yeah. you know
1: i think we're making progress towards it but yeah, yeah. little by little we're going places kicking and screaming but we're going places. <laughs> um alright, so from here, now that we have a pretty good handle on what suzerainity is and how awful it is.
0: Um we could go to sick'em. There is a link to Sikkim in here, so
1: uh uh we could.
0: Or we could uh I don't know.
1: Oh wait, hold on. Historical suzerainities on in Europe, Ireland, under the control of, and this is a link, High King of Ireland. <laughs> I did know there was a High King of Ireland.
0: I did not know that either.
1: Is that a thing?
0: I, I, I'd never, uh...
1: We may have to go there just to figure out when it happened, yeah. who they were, and when they stopped being a thing.
0: I am down with that.
1: Yeah, me too. I, I just really want to see, like, what yep. exactly... Oh, it's a rock. The uh, king, High King of Ireland <laughs> is a rock. Good. <laughs> the first thing that you see on the article as of the time of us reading this, as I realized Wikipedia is an ever-changing little creature, <laughs> is when you click High cling, King of Ireland, it's a rock. There's a picture yes, of a rock.
0: So, the High Kings of Ireland were sometimes historical and sometimes legendary figures. I knew it wasn't real. Who had or who are claimed to have had lordship <laughs> over the whole of Ireland. So, basically, there was never like a High King of Ireland. It's just like, hey, in the past, you remember that one guy that was High King of Ireland?
1: Oh, yeah, he was totally <laughs> king of whole Ireland. You know how I know? Because he went to this rock here. He went to the Hill of Terra. Uh, and stood by the Leofail <laughs> and shouted the rightful king's name when he placed his foot on it according to tradition and that's how we knew that because <laughs> he stood on that rock a little bit and he said he was king that's how we knew he was Installed king
0: Stalled on the hill of turn yep
1: like it sounds like a, actually it's like a pretty cool tradition walking up to a rock and it's being like I am the king of all of Ireland. <laughs> That would be kind of epic. (laughs) Uh, Medieval and early modern Irish literature portrays an almost unbroken sequence of high kings ruling from the hill of Tara over a hierarchy of lesser kings stretching back for thousands of years. Modern historians believe this scheme is artificial, constructed in the 8th century from various genealogical traditions of politically powerful groups, and intended to justify the current status of those groups by projecting it back to into the remote past.
0: So So not only was there a high King a high king of Ireland, there were also other kings yes going on in Ireland at the time. There are other people
1: who were claiming kingdoms in Ireland. Ireland was a multi-king. How is
0: Ireland big enough to have multiple kings and a high king? I Did they just not have any other words for people who governed places?
1: I think they meant governors, yeah. I don't think they knew what other things were.
0: They were just like, well, we know the word king. Let's just use king just, for, just everything. Came for everything.
1: And then like there would be higher kings, lower kings, middle kings, medium kings, extra large kings, <laughs> super-sized kings. <laughs> so That's how we're going to do things here. We're going to elect kings to the (laughs) kingdom, and we're going to have a a king... One king king to rule them all. One king to rule all the kings. (laughs) Um, In any case, the concept of national kingship is first articulated in the 7th century, but only became a political reality in the Viking Age, and even then, not a consistent one. While the high king's degree of control varied, Ireland was never ruled by them as a politically unified state as the high king was conceived of as an overlord exercising suzerainty over and receiving tribute from the independent kingdoms beneath him.
0: Hmm. So, early kingship, early Irish kingship was sacred in character. In the early narrative literature, a king is a king because he marries the sovereignty goddess, what? is free from blemish, enforces symbolic buada prerogatives, and avoids symbolic gisa taboos. And according to 7th and 8th century law tracts, a hierarchy of kingship and clientship progressed from the re. Twaith King <laughs> of a single petty kingdom Through the Rui A Rui who is overking Of several petty kingdoms To a Rui Rui A Rui, Rik, a Rui who is a provincial Overking So there's overkings too
1: So there's petty kings uh, King of a single petty kingdom King of several petty kingdoms kings of a province of whole other kingdoms. (laughs) So I think you're right. I think they just didn't know other words.
0: (laughs) And each king ruled directly only within the bounds of his own petty kingdom and was responsible for ensuring good government by exercising fur flathamon ruler's truth. His responsibilities included convening and Oenac popular assembly collecting taxes building public works external relations defense emergency legislation law enforcement and promulgating legal judgment
1: The lands in a petty kingdom were held by alodali by various fine or agnatic king groups, of freemen. The king occupied the apex of a pyramid of clientship within the petty kingdom. The pyramid progressed from the unfree population at its base up to the heads of noble fine held in immediate clientship by the king. Thus, the king was drawn from the dominant fine within the Senal
0: Kennel? I don't know. <laughs> or uh wait. The uh Chenil? Maybe Chenil, sure. A
1: wider king group encompassing the noble Fine from the Petty Kingdom. The kings of the Ulster cycle are the are kings in this sacred sense, but it is clear that the old concept of kingship coexisted alongside Christianity for several generations. Diarmate Macarable king of Terra in the middle of the 6th century may have been the last king to have quote unquote married the <laughs> land uh, Diarmat died at the hands of Aid Dub Maxibni. Uh some accounts from the following century state that he died by the mythic threefold death appropriate to a sacral king. Adoman's Adaminan's life tells how Saint Columba forecast the same death for Aid Dub. The same threefold death is said to in a late poem have befallen the Armit's predecessor Muir. And even the usually reliable Annals of Ulster record Merkotach's death By drowning in a vat of wine (laughs) Hmm. A second sign that Sacred Kingship did not disappear With the arrival of Christianity Is the supposed lawsuit Between Cognol Cake King of Ulaid And Domnail Makedo Cognol was supposedly blinded in one eye by Domnall's bees. <laughs> from whence the bees, the bees, ah, oh, they're seeing my eyes, ah, ah, <laughs> from whence uh, his by name Kaik, half blind or squinting, this injury rendering him imperfect and unable to remain High King. <laughs> uh, the enmity between Domnall and Kongal can be more prosaically laid at the door of the rivalry between the Oenil and the kings of Ulaid, but that a king had to be whole in body appears to have been adopted at this time. So, literally, if you had, like, mosquito bites, <laughs> you couldn't be king. Yeah. That's so weird.
0: <laughs> you had <gotta> to be flawless. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, the business of Irish succession is rather complicated because of the nature of kingship in Ireland before the Norman takeover of 1171. Ireland was divided into a multiplicity of kingdoms with some kings owing allegiance to others from time to time and succession rules, insofar as they existed, varied. Kings were often succeeded by their sons but often other branches of the dynasty took a turn, whether by agreement or by force, of arms is rarely clear. Unfortunately, the king lists and other early sources reveal little about how and why a particular person became king. To add to the uncertainty, genealogies were often edited many generations later in order to improve an ancestor's standing within the kingdom, or to insert him into a more powerful kindred. The uncertain practices in local kinship cause similar problems with interpreting the succession to the High Kingship. High King of Ireland was essentially a ceremonial, pseudo-federal overlord, where his overlordship was even recognized, who exercised actual power only within the realm of which he was actually king. And in this, in the case of the southern branch of Louis Niel, this would have been the kingdom of Meath, now the counties of Meath, West Meath, and part of County Dublin. High kings from the northern branch ruled various kingdoms in what eventually became the province of Ulster. And then in in 1002, the high kingship of Ireland was wrested from Nielsecknau the second of the Southern Uy-Neal by Brian Baruma Mac Chenedig of the Kingdom of Munster. Some historians have called this <laughs> <laughs> the usurpation of the throne. Others have pointed out that no one had a strict legal right to the kingship, and that Brian had as much right to the high throne as any Uy-Neal and Displayed an ability sadly lacking amongst most of the Uí Néill who had preceded him. And Brian was killed in the Battle of Chondorf... Clondorf? Clontarf. Yeah. In 1014. Male Seknael II was restored to High Kingship, but died in 1022. From 1022 through the Norman takeover of 1171... High kingship was held alongside kings with opposition.
1: Even at the time the law tracts were being written, these petty kingdoms were being swept away by newly emerging dynasties of dynamic overkings. The most successful of these early dynasties were the Ui Neil. Oh, you're yeah, going to explain that now? Okay, Article, do that. Do that. Tell me what the Ui Neal is after <laughs> I've already read five paragraphs about it. Thanks. Good. <laughs> ...encompassing descendants of the uh, Nile of the Nine Hostages, such as the Channel Erogain, uh who, as kings of Terra, the Ui Nil, had been conquering petty kingdoms, expelling their rulers and aglo- agglomerating their territories under the direct rule of their expanding kindred since the 5th century. Native and foreign, pagan, and Christian ideas were commingled to form a new idea of Irish kingship. The native idea of a sacred kingship was integrated with the Christian idea in the Ceremony of Coronation. The relationship of king to overking became one of Tigerna, or lord, to king and imperium, or sovereignty, which began to merge with dominium, or ownership. The church was well disposed to the idea of a strong political authority. Its clerics developed the theory of a high kingship of Ireland and wrote tracts exhorting kings to rule rather than reign. In return, the paruchiae or monastic federations of the Irish church, received royal patronage in the form of shrines, building works, land, and protection. The concept of a high king was occasionally recorded in various annals, such as an entry regarding the death of Male Sechnail Mael Renade MacMale in 862 in the annals of Ulster, which lists him as re oli or King of All Ireland, a title which is success for Aid Finleith apparently was never granted it is unclear what political reality was behind this title
0: (laughs) by the 12th century the dual process of agglomeration of territory and consolidation of kingship saw the handful of remaining provincial kings abandoning the traditional royal sites for the cities employing ministers and governors receiving advice from an oireact or a a body of noble counselors Presiding at reforming synods and maintaining standing armies. Each royal succession had been by alternating between collateral branches of the wider dynasty, but succession was now confined to a series of father son, brother brother, and uncle nephew successions within a small royal fine marked by an exclusive surname. These compact families, the Ui Brian of Munster, the Make Locaine of the North, the Ui Conchober of Connacht, intermarried and completed, competed against each other on a national basis so that on the eve of the Anglo-Norman incursion of 1169, the agglomeration slash consolidation process was complete. And their provincial kingdoms divided, dismembered, and transformed into fiefdoms held from, or in rebellion against, one of their number, acting as king of Ireland.
1: Well, there's <laughs> a list of the high kings of Ireland, but I don't know if I feel like pronouncing them. So where I mean, should uh, we go from here? Well, do we have time for another one?
0: Um, I don't know. I think this is a good one to end on. This I like it. A, I like it. High kings of Ireland.
1: It was a cool little article about kings that may or may not have existed. <laughs> so that's that's neat. And we yeah. still, we've read the whole article and we still don't know. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> Who, who's to say which of these kings actually existed?
1: Or if they were kings or not. I mean, yeah. there were kings, there were under I mean, kings, they, there were over kings. They may have
0: claimed to have had... Ownership over the whole island,
1: but I mean, they were kings. They were over kings. They were under kings. Yeah, they, they were, were through uh, kings. They were uh, they were
0: kings over other kings. They were
1: left kings, right kings, diagonal kings, sideways <laughs> kings, forward kings, backward kings, kings,
0: down kings,
1: up count up kings, down kings, left kings, right kings, A B kings, A B kings, <laughs> back up down start kings, <laughs> select kings, select kings, L <laughs>
0: R <LR> kings. <laughs> Nice on me. You can just name yourself Hey look I'm a, I'm a side king Side king yep
1: <laughs> I'm Ireland's king on the side Aw yeah King on
0: the side <laughs> Yeah So uh There you have it from list of princely states of India To high king of Ireland And so go ahead and You know rate us when On iTunes And give us a review and Go to Facebook slash TWC podcast and give us a like and follow. And you can always check out new episodes on twc.erictrivia.com. And I would like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Al Jolson for our outro song. Nice. And thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles
1: kings of Ireland. who knew who kn- oh no dude star trek money is now legal Give tender in canada no <laughs> <What>? <laughs> sorry random thing but it's true um there's now legal star trek currency in canada courtesy of the royal canadian mint although some of these financial arrangements sound like they were made by a Ferengi. <laughs> uh, via the Star Trek Collect, or via the Trek Collective, the Canadian Mint has announced its plan to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Star Trek by releasing a line of coins that can actually be used in financial transactions. If you were so. Some of them are even reasonably priced, the $10 colored coins featuring Kirk, Spock, Ahura, and Scotty are only being sold for slightly over the face value, while the $20 silver coins featuring the Enterprise are being sold at face value. I Here's where it gets dicey. The colored silver leave coins leave with the Enterprise are going for over 100 dollars in Canadian dollars even though it was only mm-hmm. even though it only has 20 dollars in face value but M&E, what pales no in comparison to the pure gold Star Trek Delta plan, coin which is based on the Starfleet insignia worn by the crew on the original series. Hello. It looks nice, but that no $200 man, coin is going to cost you $1,300 Canadian dollars, man. if it wasn't already sold out. Yes, it's true. The 1500 coin run of the gold Star Trek Delta coin is already gone and presumably ready to enter the collector's market my to fetch even dad, higher dad, prices from fans who are willing to pull open in their wallets and max out their credit cards. The <laughs> but that's just awesome. This is literally, well, this yeah, this is a gold, $200 Canadian coin with Queen Elizabeth's face on it. <laughs> it. Yeah. You don't get much cooler than that, fall,
0: Canada. Yeah, they know, they know what's
1: up. They know
0: what they're doing. They do. They really do. What a good country. I want to know why mama starts to weep. When I say now, I lay me down to sleep. Hello, Central, give me no
1: man.